Hello, my name is Eva, and today we are starting on an exploration of the folk, a utensil which we take for granted, but which does not have a millennia-long history on our tables. On the contrary, the common use of the fork is barely 300 years old, and the fork, well, the fork had to fight for its respectability. Archaeological findings from Bronze Age China offer the first concrete evidence of the use of forks. Forks were made of bone, and some of them were beautifully carved and obviously belonging to the nobility. Later, they would be made of iron, two-pronged and formed with a long handle as the ones depicted on the mosaic walls of the sumptuous villas of the Roman Empire. However, these forks were depicted above or near a stove, so it might be assumed that they were largely used as cooking or serving utensils. And they stayed this way as a practical kitchen hardware until the Byzantine Empire, the successor state to the Roman Empire in the East, which was far more influenced by its Greek heritage, where gold forks had been known to find their way to noble tables. By 950 CE, ornate forks were being depicted in the hands of the aristocracy of Constantinople, spearing roasted lamb with sharp-edged forks. Outside the famed city walls of Constantinople, forks caused nothing but astonishment. When Theophana, niece of the Byzantine emperor, married Otto II, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, in 972, she moved from Constantinople in the east to Aachen in the west, bringing with her a whole set of foreign customs and traditions, such as the hitherto unseen tradition of eating with a fork. Now, Theophana was reputedly an unpleasant and quite vicious woman, so the eccentricity of eating with a fork was tied to her personally and not seen as a judgment on Byzantine manners as a whole. But in the first century CE, the fork would take on a dark symbolism which it would not rid itself of for another 600-odd years. In 1004, Maria Agiropolina, a niece to John I, the then Byzantine emperor, made a highly advantageous marriage to Giovanni Osiello, the son of the Dorshi of Venice, that is to say, the ruler of Venice. When Maria made her entrance into Venice society, they were absolutely aghast at her using a fork. So much so that the influential Cardinal Peter Damien accused her of loose morals and bringing into Venice the tools of the devil. For the two-pronged fork did have the shape of a devil's pitchfork, from which it actually derives its name. The church soon followed up on Peter Damien's damnation claiming that eating with a fork was against God's will for the use of a person's fingers. And when Maria and her young son died of the plague 
four years after her arrival in Venice, Cardinal Peter Damien proclaimed it was God's punishment for her having gone against God's true intentions, for God had never intended the vain use of force. Of course, it might be that the Cardinal's truer issue with Maria was that she and her very large retinue were representatives of the Greek church, which was centred in Byzantium, while Peter Damien flew the colours of the Latin church, as it was known then, which looked to Rome for its leadership. It would have been contrary to the cardinal's interests if the Greek church had gained any kind of influence in Venice, and at that time, Venice had many suitors for the city's geographical position was such that it fell within the strategic interest of several political powers, including that of Constantinople, who had wished, through the marriage of Theophana, to gain more ground in Venice. So one might imagine that there were social-political reasons to stamp down on the use of folk as a visible marker of something foreign and something threatening, and in so doing, mark the Latin church as the bastion of the good and safe way of living. The differences between the Greek and the Latin church would in time evolve into the distinct denominations that we know as the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, where interestingly enough, Opposing positions were taken in regards to the fork, with it being severely condemned in the former and generally in use in the latter. With this religious condemnation of the fork in the West, which sometimes led to outright excommunication, the fork led a very quiet life, surviving as it were in the shadows. It has been speculated that several well-known murders were in fact committed by the hefty, long, two-pronged fork with sharp points as it was back then. But in that early medieval age, the fork was viewed as an effeminate object, so there are hardly any records of death by fork. That would have been considered shameful. And so the records of death by two pricks of a dagger might sound very odd in our ears, but to the medieval people it would have sounded infinitely more honourable than death by fork. So while no heaps of records exist about fatal encounters with forks, accounts have survived in which guests and churchgoers were obliged to lay aside their forks before entering church or house. Now, this coincides with several other instances in history in which evidence is found, not in the thing itself, but in the regulations against it. By the 13th century, new culinary preferences in Italy paved the way for the folk's respectable reappearance at table. Cities such as Genoa and Florence discovered a love for pasta and cookbooks from that time strongly advise the use of spoon and fork for eating. 
by the 14th century, any and every wealthy merchant would have on display a prized fork kept in what was called a cadena, an engraved box used for carrying around cutlery. For in this day and age, cutlery was still a personal issue, so each guest came with their own fork and knife. This became yet another avenue for the wealthy to show off their wealth. So it will come as no surprise then that cadenas became objects of interest to thieves and records show items from cadenas being found, returned or lost in market towns. Forks were now seen as an extension of the food given by God and so the punishment for stealing cutlery was therefore equal to the theft of stealing food. This was the state of the fork in Italy. Elsewhere, if we travelled further west, the age-old custom of eating greens and meat of trenchers, which were stale bread hardened to an organic plate, was still in use among the common folk, while wooden bowls and plates were used by the gentry who still ate with their fingers, spoon, and knife. This mode of eating would not do for Caterina de' Medici, or as we know her, Catherine Medici. When she travelled from Florence to Paris in 1533 in order to wed Henri de Orléans, the heir to the crown of France, she brought with her a huge set of exquisitely carved silver forks. And 30 years later, at the height of the religious conflict between Catholics and Protestants in France, the forks were used in Catherine's propaganda bid to garner support for the Catholic branch of the royal family as they bitterly opposed their Protestant kin. Travelling the breadth of the kingdom, Catherine invited friends and would-be allies, to a series of carefully prepared dinners, where forks were provided for all, and intricate table manners were expected of all, including those who were unfamiliar with the fork. Her aim was to have the powers that be so engrossed in etiquette that they would not concern themselves with spearing each other at the slightest insult, but rather concentrate on the art of eating elegantly and talking diplomatically. The plan worked for the dinners, but sadly, the fork and other tableware could not prevent the escalating friction between Catholics and Protestants, which in France would culminate in St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre in 1572, where thousands of Protestants were killed many put to the sword, and some perhaps put to the fork. So by the late 16th century, forks had travelled from the Far East to the Byzantine Empire, from Constantinople to Florence, and from the jewel of the Renaissance that was Florence, they had travelled again to Paris, and here the fork had come to stay at least among the aristocracy. But what was the fate of forks elsewhere? What about England or Spain or the Americas? Well, there 
the fork would continue to live in the shadows and would not shine bright for another couple of centuries. I will leave it there for today, and next time on the history of the fork, we shall explore the reticence of Elizabeth and Georgian extravaganza. I hope you liked this episode. If you did like it, please consider telling a friend about restless times in history. Until next time, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening.